0: This morning I wanted to share with you one of the favorite images that I have on my camera roll in my phone. It's a picture of a group of people, people who live in a village. They are all gathered together, young and old alike. Mothers are holding their children, fathers standing next to them. There are disabled people. There are people who have walked from far away simply to be in this place and gathering, and they are smiling and waving, waving at us, a group of people of which I was a part. There's something about this picture that looks almost like one of those classical paintings, like it could be hanging in a museum. The expressions on each face are saying something deep and meaningful. They contain within them joy and sorrow, pain and triumph over small victories in life. It's a picture I took, not because I'm a good photographer, but simply because I happen to have the opportunity to be in the right place at the right time. I was on a pilgrimage with Episcopal relief and development. Our churches. Global Economic Development Agency that also responds to disasters around the world. I was with a group of people who were visiting the work that Episcopal Relief and Development does in Ghana, an amazing country that I know many people in our congregation have either visited or are from originally. We had just visited a program that Episcopal Relief and Development sponsors for women's economic empowerment. There is a cooperative which trains women and girls in trades that they are then able to use to make money for themselves. Research shows that families where women are able to earn money are far less likely to suffer from things like poverty, domestic violence, and infant mortality. The women gather to learn skills, to share knowledge, And also to operate a cooperative rice mill, which allows them to take their crops and turn them into more valuable things that they can sell on the market. And they come out to see us, to visit us, to give us welcome, and then to bid us farewell. For me, that image is seared into my mind because it is an image of the peaceable kingdom, something beautiful a place that God has blessed, a place where people have come together and are able to live together in peace, love, and joy, just for that one moment. It was a long journey to get to that place, however. There were so many other places that we visited on that pilgrimage. We began in Northern Ghana, an arid place that's also beautiful in its own right. Also, the place where the very first slaves who were brought to the New World were captured and then led down to the coast. We followed that trail down to a place called Elmina Castle, which was the place where tens of thousands of slaves were sent to the New World. The castle has a dungeon where people were kept before transport on ships. There is a place where ships used to have a plank that would come through to a door that the slaves were made to walk over. That's called the Door of Last Return. It was incredibly moving to see, but all the more chilling, because on top of that very dungeon, which was the site of so much human suffering, is none other than an Anglican church the place where the English colonial masters would come and worship right on top of the tremendous human suffering that was happening right beneath their feet. Our journey then took us to the capital of Ghana, Accra, a dynamic city. We visited incredible sites like the memorial to Kwame Nkrumah, the first president of Ghana and one of the leaders of the Pan-African movement. Everything I learned about Nkrumah and West African history, of course, I learned actually as a result of this trip. Because even though I have the benefit of all kinds of education, there wasn't really even a single day of my education spent in this country learning about African history. But I certainly got a lesson while I was there. We visited the National Museum of Ghana, which told the story of the country's separation from England. We visited the home of W.E.B. Du Bois, who settled and lived in Ghana for many years, and gave refuge and a salon of sorts for intellectuals and leaders from the United States to come and do the same. Pauli Murray, one of the saints of our church, and the first black woman ordained to the priesthood, herself spent time in that house. And then, of course, we visited the many projects that Episcopal Relief and Development serves in Ghana. We visited a school for deaf boys, some of whom had been taken out of homes where they were chained to the ground because their parents didn't know what to do with them. We visited the homes of people who used nets, mosquito nets, to keep their children from malaria that had been supplied by Episcopal Relief and Development. We visited programs for children from ages zero to three because, once again, research shows that caring for the youngest among us is the absolute best way to ensure the future of a country. And we visited farms where farmers were experimenting with new agricultural techniques that would allow them to withstand the effects of climate change. All of these things worked toward Episcopal Relief and Development's three main program goals. Serving women, serving children, and serving people affected by climate change. And it was that long journey that brought me to that village, to that one place, with that beautiful image that I still return to today, over and over. Because, you see, it wasn't a simple route to get there. In order to arrive at that image of the peaceable kingdom, we had to pass through the terrors and horrors of the past and the present. Through racism, colonialism, cruelty, indifference. Friends, this Sunday we begin our Lenten journey. Lent is a powerful time. It's a time when we commit ourselves to self-examination, to prayer, and to repentance. It is a time when we are passing through those same bad things that we know that we have done or participate in and acknowledge them. And yet the purpose of our Lenten discipline is not in order to make ourselves feel bad about ourselves or others. Nor is it a vanity project to prove to ourselves that we truly can do something. Nor is it, as Father Spencer reminded us in his sermon on Ash Wednesday, a self-improvement program. No, the purpose of this season is so that we may arrive at that vision of the kingdom of God That is set out to us in the gospel. The purpose is to get to that place where we can see those people together, living in harmony and joy, if only just for a moment. When we do, we see Christ resurrected on Easter day. That is the purpose of this season. Not to make us feel bad but to guide us ever more closely to God. We begin this season, as we do every year, with the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And Satan presents him with three different temptations. To a man who has been fasting, he presents bread, a temptation to give in to Jesus' appetites and passions. To a person devoted to prayer, he presents him an opportunity to prove his spiritual power, appealing to Jesus' pride and vanity. And to a person who is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, he presents all of the kingdoms of the world, appealing to Jesus' desire to have power, fame, and glory. And yet Jesus, who is the very Son of God, rejects all of these temptations. How much he must have wanted each of those things to have his hunger assuaged, to have his pride puffed up, to have that power that he knows he might have been able to do something good with. And you might note as you are listening to this story that you might want him to be giving in to those temptations, too. Because how much easier would our lives be if Jesus had done that as well? If he had given in to these temptations, he'd be proving to us that what God really wants for us is those same things. That we acquire things, that we hold sway and power in the world. That that's the purpose of this life. Because you see, doing those things is much easier than what it is that Jesus actually lives his life out doing. Examining yourself, dedicating yourself to the good, reaching out to all people, being love in the world. It's hard. And yet, Jesus resists. And he does it so that we too can resist. We fall into all types of temptations each and every day, and if we think that we don't, then we are deceiving ourselves. Each time we do it, we're expressing a weaker side of who we are, and yet we are human, and we fail. That's why we do this exercise each and every year, because nobody's perfect. God doesn't expect you to be perfect, God doesn't expect me to be perfect. What God does do is holds out the possibility for each of us to turn back, to become better people, and to turn to God himself. I was thinking about this as I was looking at that picture that I took in Ghana all those years ago. I thought about all the sins that have taken place in that beautiful country, The sins of colonialism and racism are built on those three temptations that Satan presented to Christ. Colonialism was built on the rapacious desire for ever more resources, riches, and wealth. And those who perpetrated it would stop at nothing, not even tremendous human suffering, in order just to get more. It was built on pride the idea that one nation is better than another and can subject another nation to its own whims. And of course, it was built on power, that need to show people that you are bigger and better and more powerful than someone else. Sadly, these impulses still exist in our world today. You can see them all the time. I don't need to list them for you. But this story is a good reminder of how when we give in to our own temptations, it harms not only us, but others. An entire society under the sway of the idea of colonialism gave in to these temptations, creating sin and suffering in the world. And yet each of it began with individuals every time we take a look at ourselves, at our souls, and we look at the ways in which we have been involved in things that are not of God's accord, we are doing something not only for ourselves, but for our neighbor. We are sparing them the pain that we would inflict on them if we gave in to our own temptations. And so that is why, my friends, Doing this work this season is so important. I believe and I know with every fiber of my being that this spiritual work is how the world changes. It's not just yourself that you are trying to improve, but this broken and sad place that we live in today. All of the things that you look at when you read the news or see things happening in the world that are bad, Come from a place of sin. They come from a place of people giving in to these temptations. And so, if you want to see a difference, begin this season with yourself. Take a look with Jesus as he did at the things that tempt you and yours, and then pray for the strength to reject them and turn to something better something that God has given to you. Not as a way to prove to yourself that you are perfect, but rather as a way to prove to yourself that you want something different for yourself, for those you love, and for people you haven't even met. I'm very privileged to serve on the board of Episcopal Relief and Development. As a matter of fact, I'm going to Texas this week for a board meeting. And let me assure you, In those meetings and among the staff, these conversations about racism and colonialism and our church's own participation in these things are happening all the time. That's why Episcopal Relief and Development works with partners on the ground. It's their genius, their energy, their vision that drives what Episcopal Relief and Development does. I saw it in Ghana. I saw it on another pilgrimage. I was able to go on to Zambia in 2018, and I see it every time I meet with the staff of Episcopal Relief and Development once a month to lead them in prayer. It's remarkable to be able to participate in such a beautiful thing. The organization itself is a project of undoing the sins of the past to make a better world today. And if you want to learn more, you can go to episcopalrelief.org to learn about the work that Episcopal Relief and Development does around the world. Right now, they are busy supporting relief efforts in Turkey following the horrific earthquake that took place there two weeks ago. But they're active everywhere. And it's worth learning more. But that's just one way in which, on this Episcopal Relief and Development Sunday, we can make a difference. Because acting in the world comes from a place of deep spirit within you. When we get ourselves right with God, when we're honest about the temptations that we face, and then we have the courage to stand up to them, we are making a change in the world. I wish you a blessed and a meaningful Lent. I wish you courage and bravery as you confront those parts of yourself That are scary to look at. And every time you find something like that, remember you are not alone. You have God. You have this community. You have the whole host of heaven rooting for you, cheering you on, so that we too, one day, may arrive at that peaceable kingdom that God has set out for us. Amen.